0: Welcome back to the Teaching Culture Cast, the home for community and culture in teaching. I am your host, Matthew Bliss, and we are officially back now. We've returned for episodes. It's great to see you back here again. I know it's been a long wait. We are now ready to kick off the long-running show of the Teaching Culture Cast, bringing back interviews, stuff about teaching, education, all the things that you loved about our first initial seasonal run. Now... This is just a brief intro into this episode, which is a new different kind of episode than we're used to. But I just wanted to jump on and thank you, everybody, for listening to the episodes that have been released so far. I know that all of you have been listening avidly, even though we haven't been actively releasing for perhaps the last half year. It's always been in the plans to come back, and I'm really glad that we're able to now. Just to give you an idea of what's going to be happening, we are still going to be releasing episodes fortnightly. We're also going to have two different types of episodes, the first being our regular interviews that you've known and loved so far already, and the next will be semi-regular, but I explain that in the episode as it comes up. Now, just as a bit of warning, if you'd wanted to do some pre-reading for the upcoming episode, I would suggest going onto YouTube, searching for 60 Minutes, and looking for the video titled, Why Are So Many Teachers Quitting the Classroom? This was the major subject for this episode. We discussed the content. We don't do necessarily a great job of explaining where we are and the basic subject matter from the video itself. So as a bit of pre-reading to prepare you for this discussion it would be a good idea to check that video out. Search for it yourself. It's also linked in the show notes. Should also note that we recorded this episode a couple of months ago in preparation for an earlier return than this. So if it feels a bit dated, that would be why. All right, without further ado, let's get stuck into this brand new type of episode for The Teaching Culture Cast. Again, welcome back. Thank you very much for your support so far, and I look forward to seeing you in more episodes upcoming. Enjoy. Welcome back to The Teaching Culture Cast, the community for culture in teaching. And we are finally back. It's been a very long time, a long hiatus from recording episodes and still going to be the Teaching Culture cast that you know and love. We're still going to be doing interviews. We're still going to be uh, approaching people in the profession out there, actively teaching kids still and uh, people who are contributing to education in some capacity. And we've got a few interviews lined up. But first, in our big return, not to a seasonal arc here, we're going to be jumping straight into what is hopefully going to be a progressive content delivery that just lasts forever, because, of course, teachers will be around forever. So, of course, this podcast should be as well. Introducing what we're loosely calling the Staff Room. The Staff Room being the kind of episode where I bring someone on to discuss some issues, recent things in teaching, even address questions from you. But to do this, I'll have to bring someone on to have a chat to. And back again after her very successful and highly popular episode, which was midway through the season one run of Teaching Culture Cast, is Tanya. Tanya, welcome back.
1: Hello. I am back. Yes. I feel like I had to dust off my shoulder there. You're giving me a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a hype up there.
0: <laughs> well, look, the, I've got to say that the, the episodes of the Teaching Culture Cast have done very well in terms of uh, uh, people checking them out, but yours did incredibly well. Within the first week, I must say, Uh, not to say that we haven't had a bunch of great people on our first season one episodes already, but I think you just you hit a subject that's very close to home. Yeah, with the idea of first getting started in teaching and hitting all those big notes.
1: Yeah, I'm glad it resonated with clearly a lot of people, and hopefully they feel heard and they feel acknowledged with their experiences as well.
0: Absolutely, and funnily enough, we got the most comments on the Reddit post. In the Australian Teachers subreddit for your episode as well, and even a few recommendations in other posts.
1: Oh, there we go! That's right. We're we're expanding our wings here.
0: There you go, and that's that's why we had to bring you back so that if we oh. could we could leverage your social media uh, <laughs> range and and draw so we could uh, continue to expand.
1: It's an absolute pleasure to be back. And I'm looking forward to the conversation we're going to have. I always look forward to our conversations. Yes. But this one in particular, I think it's going to be a good one.
0: Indeed. Um, so, just to give you, listener, an idea of what we're going to be talking about today, um, we're just going to do a quick intro and talk about the intentions for the staff room and what you can expect from it. Uh, and then we're going to get stuck into a 60-minute teaching special that came out, I think it was- at the time of recording the previous weekend, I think it was around the 14th or the 15th of May.
1: Yes, that sounds correct because my uh, group chat of teachers was going off because we were all watching it and tuning in um, at the same time.
0: Yeah. I-, I can't imagine anyone in the teaching profession that wouldn't be aware of this special because it really did speak yeah. to a lot of big notes.
1: And it came at the perfect time for it, actually, with yeah. the current climate, and I think- um. Yeah, it was timed really well.
0: In addition to a couple of um, very heavy jabs from the interviewer on the episode, but we'll get there.
1: <laughs> we'll get there. She's, she's, we've got a few questions about her. Yes. Yep. She, didn't,
0: she didn't pull her punches. That's, that's what I'm trying to, trying to get out there, which is great because yeah. it has to happen.
1: Mm, absolutely.
0: And then after we talk about the 60 Minutes stuff, we're going to get stuck into uh, a couple of questions that we've just pulled off the internet because we haven't actually asked you for your input yet, which uh, will provide the details of how to do that towards the end of the episode. Because we really do want to hear from you um, as a practicing teacher or someone who's currently doing their practicum or maybe even just thinking about getting back into teaching again. I'm sure you've got burning questions about the profession, particularly if you did happen to catch that 60-minute special. You know, as educational professionals, Tanya and I would be more than happy to answer where we can.
1: Absolutely. That's right. what we're here for. No, as a typical teacher would say, no question is a stupid question. We're here to answer everything. Yes.
0: There you go. So, <laughs> um, hang out for the end of the podcast. We'll let you know how you can submit your questions. This episode style, the staff room. It's a really good opportunity for us, I think, to just kind of wax lyrical on teaching itself. There's actually a lot of podcasts out there about teaching, especially during the pandemic. I'm not sure, Tanya, if you've caught any of the the podcasts that have come out, but there's been a big search. I
1: actually haven't. I've, I've been a bit weak in my podcast game at the moment. Um, and it's the one area of my life that I'm needing to boost or or get back up to scratch. But one thing I will say is that I really love the name of the staff room. For me, when I walk into the staff room, I make my cup of tea, I sit down and I'll talk to whoever's around me about my day and what's happening and and any, I guess, major talking points that are coming up. So, I feel like the name of the staff room of this sort of podcast segment or style that we're running really reflects what I use the staff room for. So, I think, I think we came up with a good one there.
0: Yeah, it's good. And it's, you know, you're not just getting professional development from us. We'll be spattering episodes of uh, interviews that we've done with other people for your actual hearty professional development. But this is just us sitting in the staff room, having a chat about what's going on, and who knows, we might get a bit spicy with uh, the things that we tackle.
1: Oh, there's always some controversy floating around the staff room, some, you know, hot little truths running around.
0: (laughs) Yeah, someone did something in a classroom somewhere and maybe untoward, (laughs) circumstantial.
1: Uh, We always spill the tea. We make tea in the staff room and we spill it as well.
0: Spilling the tea. I've got to tell you, if if the staff room is tentative, maybe we'll go with that as a secondary name, Spilling the Tea.
1: Spilling the Tea.
0: <laughs> that would be really good. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's basically what the format is going to be. It, uh, we're just going to sit and talk about some big topics and issues. And, and of course, if you're interested in um, submitting your own issues that, uh, that has come up for you or you reckon there's big topics in social media or the current teaching discussion that you'd like to submit, uh, send it to teachingculturecast at gmail.com. We'll address the question, you don't necessarily have to be named as part of that submission. If you are sending it to us, uh, we will presume that you want to be anonymous unless you state that you'd like your name to be attached to it. Um, And this, of course, covers origin of that email address, knowing that all of us being teachers, well, of course, talking about myself, not currently a teacher, but I understand that most of our email addresses will probably indicate the school that we have come from. While the interviews have retained a lot of that anonymity, I really want to make sure that you as the listener get to keep a bit of that anonymity as well. So, teachingculturecast at gmail.com. Submit the things that you might be interested in us talking about. And without further ado, why don't we jump into this 60 Minutes episode? Yeah, what did you think?
1: Yes, it definitely was a bombshell. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I think it came at the perfect time. And- When I say perfect, I don't mean idealistic time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, not that we're, I guess, screaming of joy right now in the teaching profession, Um, but the perfect time to discuss what is happening just with the current climate and the current situation that a lot of our schools are facing and also the strategies that we're coming up with to tackle the issues that we're facing as well. And, yeah, I think it just hit a lot of nails on the head that I had and sentiments that I'm sharing, um, not entirely negative, but just experiences and strategies that, you know, I'm seeing um, across not only my school, but my friends' schools and, and the wider profession as well.
0: Mm. And it's really interesting that it hit all of the, the big points home very quickly. Yes. Um, the special that we saw or that I will reference in the show notes in, in case you haven't seen it. Was about twenty minutes, and I think they talked to three or four major teachers, I guess, and one politician, which we'll get to. Um, And they really covered the full gamut of not only opportunities for teachers who are frustrated at the moment, but also with the various scenarios that you're probably talking about there. Yeah, some of them being the idea that you're overworked, that you don't get compensated for the work that you do. John Marsden in particular mentioned the idea of teachers being considered de facto parents.
1: Oh, yeah. That one hit hard.
0: Yeah. Like an overcrowded curriculum to start with. And then the idea that parents can kind of push the responsibility of teaching them sexual education and social skills and things like that, that parents kind of, not all parents, but some will just kind of sit back and say, well, why aren't you? teaching my daughter how to operate in society when, you
1: know. Yeah, and it's operate in society after two and a half years of not having that opportunity to develop those skills in a regular mm. setting as well. Where what I found is is coming out of the pandemic, having to teach those social and emotional skills, those communication skills, those conflict resolution skills, um, emotional intelligence a lot more frequently than I previously would have also how to regulate students' emotions and how to teach them how to regulate their own behaviours and emotions as well has become increasingly prevalent. So, yes, mm-hmm. we were already teaching those skills and I don't, have, I don't think there's an issue within the profession of teaching those skills, but it's to a higher level now and it's, it's to a more basic degree in that we sort of have to start from scratch and build them up prior to the pandemic, there would have been, they, you know, they're exposed to their peers and, and the school environment and, and a busy environment more often than they would have been. Um, whereas, yeah, it's just like the pandemic hit a big refresh button on all that and we're having to guide them through a lot more than we, we typically would have maybe a few years ago.
0: Mm. It's kind of like before the pandemic, maybe <clears throat> those social skills came out a lot, a lot more easily for you yeah. guys to manage as teachers because, you know, they were practicing and you just kind of push them around a little bit and massage those edges yeah. off into
1: and refined yeah. and built upon them. But like I said, now it feels as though we're having to really go back to basics and and teach those skills from from their base and mm. like I said, regulate those skills a lot more than we typically would have. And like, like I said, I think it is a part of our job to to teach those skills to a degree because obviously they're communicating with other people, they're building relationships with other people, um, they're expanding their critical analysis and their critical thinking, um, but also coming into contact with a lot of people who they might have conflict with or have to negotiate with. So I see s- school as an area and as a, a setting where that's important. Um mm. But having no prior exposure to that or having little prior exposure to that amongst the students has just really amplified all that social and emotional learning we're doing. And as well as having to deal with the ramifications of isolation and online learning to a wider degree now, I think I'm starting to see the impact of those things now in the long run and how they might be manifesting in students.
0: Yeah, well, it's funny that you mentioned this down as far of a line as you have because this was actually something I had a little bit of a problem with with the 60 minute special because there was a parent that they were talking to that was maybe 14 or 15 minutes in that was hitting all the big points that that teachers want to hear. They he was saying, yeah. I can't recall his name unfortunately, but he was saying, "Look, teachers have to be given the space to do the things that they need to do and uh, they need time to be able to do these things administrative stuff." isn't what they should be doing as their job. It's about teaching our kids, all that stuff. Yeah. But I don't think that frames really what you're talking about here, which is the the post-pandemic lack of social skill development that hasn't happened in the last couple of years, but also what the parents could have been doing in that time or may have attempted to do and just, you know, run out of steam because they're not teachers at the end of the day. They're going to burn out probably faster than, than us as teachers would.
1: Yeah. Well, that's just because we're, you know, made with bulletproof vests on us, I think, or we have to act like we have them on. But I think throughout the whole segment for on 60 Minutes, there was little discussion about the pandemic and the impacts of the pandemic. For me, the current climate is showing us that we've reverted back to a model of teaching That assumes that no pandemic happened in a way. You look at every other profession, every other profession has adapted or implemented changes as a result of remote work and remote employment, whether that's a restructuring of the work week, flexibility in the work week, splitting remote and on-site days, changing roles um, or the way in which work can be completed and submitted. I know some some of my friends who work in, for example, corporate finance are still using Meet and, and Zoom and, and online conferencing tools because now it suits the the, the model of the business and, and how they've mm-hmm. altered since the pandemic, whereas teaching has reverted back to its form pre-pandemic and, and we haven't been able to see how it's progressed or what needs to progress, what needs to change. I think we've come out of that clearly feeling burnt out because as, as – Impactful as remote learning was in terms of, you know, how it impacted students and how it impacted teachers and families and people and wellbeing. Mm. Um, it, I think it also showed us that when we were online, we didn't deal with a lot of the things we typically would deal on site. And now reverting back to full-time on-site learning shows us those flaws and shows us the areas in which we're really struggling in, such as energy, such as management of the classroom such as the admin that comes with face-to-face teaching and if we were able to come out of the pandemic of with two years of remote learning in states like Victoria where we minimized a lot of those duties and the kids were still doing okay why have we not minimized that admin now Mm. that's the major discussion point for me whilst everything in the 60-minute segment was relevant and hitting home That's the one thing I wish they would have discussed a little bit more.
0: Yeah. And I think it was labelled as a part one, so maybe they're reserving the part two to talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. It was also the aforementioned politician that was brought on for a a very short segment where she was thrown a couple of rocks to try and deal with, but Sarah Mitchell, the Education Minister of um, New South Wales, who has come under fire quite frequently in the wake of the New South Wales teaching strikes because yeah. the solution mindset she has is not dealing with the things that you're talking about. Yeah. Like um, they're looking at the teaching shortage as a shortage of teachers, so we need to make teaching look more attractive, not try and retain the people that we currently have teaching by improving the pay and improving the conditions and making it more attractive yeah. that
1: way. And there was a, I think there was at one point in the 60 Minutes clip I can't remember exactly where it came in but they said teaching needs the overhaul that people are too scared to to implement. It does need a radical change and that restructuring that I was discussing beforehand. Perhaps the pandemic was the perfect opportunity to restructure education, but the people in charge and in, in charge of our education system, our ministers, our politicians are too scared to implement that change because it does mean changing a very traditional archaic system that's been implemented for decades and decades and decades and how do you possibly begin with a task, Mm -hmm. with that task. Um, Even it's funny actually because I recently completed um, oral presentations in a a year eight English class that I'm teaching and one of the topics that they could select from – was should the school week be reduced to four days a week? And even that mindset or even that issue would stir up so much controversy regarding family structure, work structure, um, childcare, pay, you know, expenses, school expenses, family expenses, transport, you know. I feel like all aspects of society would need to change around any change that we make to the school system and the school structure which is the difficult thing here in terms of imagining a post-COVID schooling and education system that is compatible to post-COVID life, but also compatible to other aspects of society and life as well.
0: Yeah. But it's it'd be the perfect solution to go along with the rest of the world. I mean, people are mistakenly thinking that teachers have it great already because they've got so many weeks off every year and- you know, they clock in at 8.30 and they clock out at 3.30 and that's all they do, right?
1: It's some dreamland. Can you please direct yeah. me to this <laughs> dreamland?
0: <laughs> I wish I could. And they did call that out in the 60 minutes as well. Mm. Um, the, the reform of how education works does rely on so many dependencies that it's almost impossible to do. And I think the, it's pulling the politicians' uh, priorities away from what they want to do, and instead moving it to education, that would have to solve it. Yeah, and, and that's that's another thing I noted actually that that John Marsden mentioned that there's only been two education ministers in our history that were actually teachers for yeah. a little bit, <laughs> which seems pretty crazy.
1: And this is a sentiment that arises with a lot of like cabinet level ministers, and and even mm. discussion about laws regarding. Women's bodies that fall into the hands of men. And, you know, that was the first thing I thought about in terms of the people making the laws don't have that lived experience or, or don't have or don't really grasp the reality of, of the situation. And there are so many other aspects of, of society that you can relate it to and aspects of politics that you, that you can see it happening. But mm. that was the point that I was waiting for in the segment and eventually arrived with him saying, why do we have these people who aren't teachers, who have never been in the classroom, make decisions just like you probably wouldn't want a principal who isn't a teacher being a principal and leading a school because they don't have that lived experience. Yep. Um, so, if we wouldn't accept that standard in a principal, why would we accept that standard in, in government?
0: And the social impact of changing teaching necessarily applies to everything in the way you mentioned earlier too, like changing mm. the four-day To a four day week for teaching would impact how everyone does their jobs. But uh, what is often forgotten is the social impact of teaching people who will be future workers who then grow up into a lifestyle that's very similar to what they do when you teach them. Yeah. So if you teach them well and you've changed and reformed these aspects, that's going to feed into the recursive cycle of bringing it all forward.
1: And that reminds me of another point that John Marsden brought up in that. There is this this stereotype that's te- that teachers have their set hours, they clock in, they clock out, they've got good work-life balance, they come home, and he sort of said, mm-hmm. who's doing that? He's like, if you want to teach well, you're mo- most likely not doing that and what standard you accept within the classroom and what standard you accept for your teaching will determine how much time you spend on your teaching. That, that was the point that resonated with me because for me I know I'm – very hard on myself and very critical in a way and, you know, would consider myself somewhat of a, of a harsh perfectionist. So mm. how can I accept the standard of teaching that my planning time currently gives me or um, my admin time currently gives me? Because right now that's it's not viable. Yeah. You know, you can go into that. And he also said teaching isn't just teaching them how to do something. It's making it engaging. It's making it enriching. It's making it. Um, an experience for them to take into their lives as future leaders, as future workers, as future educators as well. So yes, we can easily go into that room and teach them something, but how can we make it a fulfilling experience as well? That's where all the overtime comes from. That's where the dedication and and the extra work comes from, and the pressure as well that we place on ourselves. And it's quite hard to detach from that and and say, mm. oh well, I'm doing my job. I've gone in there. I've, taught them my curriculum and I've walked straight out and I don't care whether it was engaging and I don't care whether it was fun and or, you know, it ticked everything else. I did my job. That's the hard part to detach yourself from.
0: Yes. It's a mindset that that is unique to teaching as well. It's like a, uh, you're going to have to help me out here. The, uh, The punished Greek bloke who was always pushing the boulder up the hill.
1: No, I was never good at Greek oh, no. <laughs> tales, Greek mythology.
0: Um, Sisyphus. I believe Sisyphus was the one punished to push a boulder up a mountain only to have it roll down the other side again. And he would have to go down to the bottom of the mm. mountain and push it up again. Uh, that's kind of like what teaching is like from both ends. The idea that you're so impassioned yeah. and emboldened about making your teaching so impressive that, or so engaging for the kids, rather. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's impressive, but- um, great for the kids, but also the pressure coming from other places to make sure that your teaching is going to be engaging too. And
1: Yeah. You know- I think it reflects the evaluative mindset that we're encouraged to have as teachers. Yep. As teachers at the moment, and even within practicum and pre-service courses, you know that you are told to constantly evaluate your practice, seek feedback, implement changes, re-evaluate the impact of those changes. And it's a continuous cycle, you know, implementing and evaluating. And I think that follows you as you enter the profession. As an individual, you're constantly walking out of that lesson being like, okay, let's evaluate that lesson. What do I need to do for next time? Um, What data have I gathered to change my teaching practice? And let me implement all those changes again. And and so it's this continuous feedback loop Mm. of teaching um, and we're told to, you know, evaluate and scrutinise our own teaching so that we can improve. I'm wondering though, has that had a negative, somewhat of a negative impact on the ways in which we, we place pressure on upon ourselves or the way we perceive ourselves as teachers? And is that perhaps contributing to the stress and, and the extra workload that we have?
0: Definitely. Like you saw it in the, in the pre-service teachers that they handpicked, I presume, from whichever university that they'd covered. I think it was University of Wollongong. Wollongong, yeah. yeah. Um, that's what it, I heard from what they were all saying. They were looking at the current teaching situation and they were saying, no, this isn't right. When we become teachers, we're going to change this, which is yeah. that positive mindset, that recursive, consistent innovation and improvement that you talked about but without anything else changing are they just going to find that they're in that burnout stage like every other teacher
1: it's a tough one cuz oh, because obviously you want to foster that mindset within you know budding teachers and going into the profession with that passion for change and that pursuit for for improvement and development i think as a pre pre-service teacher my one thing i would if i was sitting in that room with those with those pre-service teachers would mm. say your passion is unbridled, but how is that limited or restricted within the demands you're working in? And, and we spoke about this on the episode that I was on. Yep. Placement is such a small segment of teaching. And, yes, you do get that firsthand experience into the, into the profession that you wouldn't typically get with other jobs, for example, you know, if you're not doing an apprenticeship-based job mm-hmm. um, or an internship-based job. But it also doesn't show you a lot and it doesn't show you that take-home effect or that being sort of limited within, within the structures that you're working within by policy, by admin, by processes and protocols that we're needing to follow.
0: Um- but there's no, no constraints told to you when you do your education either, when you're training to be a teacher. No. There's no one that tells you- No. Look, we, we talk about approaching history, for example. Uh, using all of these these awesome methodologies to frame every discussion, universal design, great backwards design, whatever, however you approached the process. There's nothing in any of those subjects that covers how to deal with a large amount of that stuff and putting a cap on it so that you can effectively mm. manage yourself and how much you put into your work.
1: Yeah.
0: It's kind of built in a way so that there is no limit. The sky is the limit with what you can yeah. offer. Your students,
1: yeah, and there's always more you can do. Yeah, there's always another strategy you can implement. There's always another activity that you can differentiate further. There's always another student who you could potentially differentiate for. And so, how do you be the octopus with eight tentacles here, balancing all that whilst also being placed under certain restraints? And and I don't mean restraints in in with that negative connotation, but just certain frameworks that we're working in. Yep. Whether that's timing, you know, role descriptions.
0: School priorities.
1: Um, co-curricular, extracurricular school priorities, yep. um, professional development priorities, et cetera. They're, that's the aspect of teaching and school admin that you don't see as a, as a pre-service teacher.
0: And I, I feel like I need to say, just in case any pre-service teachers listening, don't be concerned about all the things we're talking about. Uh, In this context, um, as long as you approach it in a way that's effective and sustainable, you're going to do just fine. But, you know, you need to keep all these things in mind and consider them.
1: Yes. Sustainable mindset is very important. Yes,
0: That's right. And to get one of those, make sure that you listen to Tanya's episode. I think it was episode five or six of season one. Um, We'll add it to the show notes.
1: And the um, unconditional positive self-regard that I discuss in that episode.
0: Absolutely. Um, I want to make it a tagline for this podcast. It's that good. But you can, you can keep that one for yourself. That's fine.
1: It's too long to make a hashtag as well. Yeah, a little bit. It, unless you hashtag UPSR.
0: Oops. Uh, I like it. We've managed to talk about almost all the episode stuff, which is great. The one thing that we haven't really talked about yet, which you kind of touched on, is Monica, who was one of the first teachers- mm mentioned at the beginning of the special, who had left teaching and found a much more reward, well, for her, rewarding career uh, using her teacher training and her experience to contribute to a bunch of other things. She was copywriting and writing her own book and um, doing learning development for a startup, a tech startup or something like that, which was pretty crazy. And I think it's interesting that they leaded, led, help me, help me English teachers, um, that led. they led that episode talking about her because the last thing that anyone in the teaching industry wants is for good teachers to leave. You want yeah. them to stay and to continue doing what they do best. But this, this is where I can speak from my experience a bit more because if anyone who's been listening to Teaching Culture Cast for a while may not remember, but I'm not currently teaching. I completed my teaching degree and went for a stopgap job doing learning development for a, I think I can say a government department, but that's about it, uh, for reasons. If you work for a government department, then you understand. I have found myself in a very similar situation to Monica where the conditions are good. I get to benefit now from all the things like, uh, working in the office four days a week and potentially or working from home rather four days a week. And then working from home one day a week or some semblance of those things, the acceleration of your cumulative salary is a lot faster than it is in teaching. Mm. When you come in at the entry level pay, it often takes about 10 years for you to get up to a stage where you're at the top end of the band if you don't take on more roles and responsibilities. The interesting thing that they don't talk about often is that you can use almost all of your Teaching skills, the things that you would take into the classroom, all of them are useful. In a learning yeah. development scenario for something like what I do, it's with adults. And really the yeah. only thing that's missing from that, sometimes, occasionally you have to kick it in, but the behavioural management stuff, which invariably yeah. is the stuff people don't like anyway, right?
1: And, and as well, the interaction with awesome young people.
0: I think that's, that's the thing that gets missed a lot. Like when you've got a really good class- yeah and they like you and they wanna come back and keep learning more and getting that rapport going with them, like that's something that you don't yeah. get to experience.
1: It's unique, yeah, and just having, going into work every day, being a part of those students' lives every day, mm. seeing them more than they might see their own families at some point, that, that, that it's a very unique experience and it's a very fulfilling one. And that's why so many people would feel so much guilt leaving the profession because you are working with amazing, amazing young people that you bond with and that you've shaped a part of their lives and you'll forever be a memory in their lives as well. Um, And you want to see them develop and grow into great people. But how much have you put that before your own self? Yes. I hope my my friend doesn't mind me saying this, um, but she's recently been in a position where that got questioned and, and she was asked, with, with the certain decision that she had to make regarding her career, whether she thought about the kids first. And as teachers, it's, it's easy to think about the kids first and the students first, mm. but then you neglect that aspect of yourself. Like you said, that sustainable mindset that keeps you going at your optimal level to support those students as best as yep. you can.
0: Whereas I would argue the opposite is sometimes the case if you're a teacher working in a different field using your teaching skills that sometimes you can prioritize yourself over everything else. Yeah. Even the quality of your teaching or training or content development, whatever it is, it's, it can sometimes be easy to fall into the, the nature of that kind of work and for lack of a better phrase, slack off a little, but yeah. it's because that fulfillment isn't there either. People come to corporate training, they sit there for an hour, you've got them for an hour and then they're done and they run away you don't get to follow up there's barely any feedback sometimes for you to improve the way you deliver that stuff the students that you get in teaching are just a wealth of information for you to constantly improve even if you're not you're doing that sustainable mindset method you don't have to poll and quiz the kids every lesson to take something away every time whereas yeah. you teach 10 people progressively 500 times Different people across an entire organization, you may not learn as much to be able to reflect on your delivery and your content management and things like that that you would be able to in teaching. And look, it's it's a minor gripe, and I feel like I had to seize it as an opportunity to talk about what being a teacher outside teaching is like. Um, yeah. And I'm glad they addressed it in in the sixty minutes special as well.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad that they spoke about the transferable skills that we have as well because I feel like teachers are often pigeonholed as those who didn't have anything else to do or, you know, they, um, they're they very tailored towards teaching, but there are so many other aspects of the job. Coordination, there's management, there's organisation, there's admin, there's event planning, project planning, editing, like, especially as I, I've recently been, not that I'm looking to change professions, but that thought has sparked because some of my friends recently started at a marketing agency and I was thinking oh, I could. I think I could technically work in a marketing agency with with the skills and experience that I have not only as an English teacher but as a coordinator and a project lead and an event leader. There are so many avenues we can go down and it, we shouldn't feel shame for wanting to explore those other opportunities or guilt, no. but sometimes you do feel a little bit guilty because you are leaving you know uh, this number of students who have had a profound impact on your lives and you've impacted their lives and You are accountable for for a large number of students as well. So, one teacher leaving has a larger impact than one student leaving, you would say. Mm.
0: But this is what you're talking about is the weird paradox of teaching where you said Mm. that those who can't do teach, by the time you're a teacher, you have the skills that everybody else wants to be able to do other stuff really, really, really well. Yeah. And the people that have their heads screwed on in companies like the tech startup that Monica probably works for, they- target teachers because they realise that they've got the skills that, that they want in their organisation for this kind of stuff. And, and
1: that's- I 100% agree.
0: That's where I think there should be no shame either. The other side of the fence is going to look so attractive and it will. It'll be money or it'll be appreciation. It'll be a bit of ego as well. They'll tell you that you have un- unbelievable skills, that you'll be so yeah. well suited for for you know teaching- people in our organisation about this fantastic new product that's redacted because it's something so awesome that they can't even talk about in public, you know. There's a lot of more interesting stuff across the fence, but as you say, the teachers that hang around, they do it because there's so much reward and value for teachers being in the system.
1: There is so much reward and value. (laughs) And we sit here talking about a 60 Minutes episode that looked at, I guess, some of the issues in teaching, which of course there are, but In any profession, there are issues, but there are so many shining lights, or I like to call them roses, that appear as well. And um, that's what keeps you there. But I think the question that more teachers are starting to weigh up is, how long can I continue with with that thought? How long can that sustain me within this profession that isn't sustaining my livelihood or isn't perhaps meshing well with the way I live my life now or how I need to live my life.
0: Mm. And we're kind of left with that a little bit, I think. Hmm. What the teachers watching should think about as they approach their career, maybe understanding all of the sensational journalism that we experienced in that 20 minutes, <laughs> but also the kind of actions that we need to take as a society to make sure that teaching is still attractive as an option. They don't really address that, which means to me that it being a part one that hopefully – There's going to be a few more practical outcomes in the part two whenever it comes round.
1: Yeah, and speaking about retaining or, sorry, getting more teachers into the profession, um, I largely tapped out of any election coverage this year because I just wasn't (laughs) emotionally available for it. You're not alone, I don't think. Um, And, you know, I I didn't really look into policies that much or as much as I would have in previous years, um, and perhaps that's just me willfully choosing to stay uninformed for my own sake and mental health. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing that I did notice was a similar sentiment to to the politician in the clip was Albo, who is now our Prime Minister-elect.
0: Anthony Albanese.
1: One of his major policies was providing a bursary for pre-service teachers who receive high ATARs to encourage them to enter the profession. Is that right? Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I saw it in um in a, in a summary of his key policies, providing I think a, a twelve thousand dollar bursary or something like that. Wow, um, that's huge. To to, I'm I'm assuming that bursary it would go towards would fees. Be part of their tuition yeah. would be taken away from their tuition, um, but still quite an incentive for entering the profession if you have a high ATAR. So trying to attract those people who, who could you know, enter any profession that they could choose with, with an ATAR of their choosing or with the ATAR that they receive, but enticing them to come into teaching. And while that is a good, I guess, entry-level tactic, how does it retain them? And I think that's the question we're asking. We can garner interest for teaching and encourage people to perhaps enrol in those courses, but how do we retain them? Just like they, they stated with the teacher at the beginning of the 60 Minutes clip. How do you retain a good teacher like that?
0: Yeah, and they, they keep looking at the start, don't they? They look yep. at the shortage and they say, okay, we need to get more teachers in there. How do we make it attractive for people to look at teaching as a viable option? And then after that, they kind of don't do much, do they?
1: Yeah, it is one of those issues that it it isn't easily solved, and like I said, it requires structural change at all levels of society and government and family life and and just how our our country and m- many countries function. Um, so it is something we'll grapple with for a while. I suspect there will be a time where things will get better, especially with our current climate of um, teacher shortages and CRT shortages and the um, makeshift classroom strategies that we're having to implement just to have kids supervised at the moment.
0: That's it. That's something that we didn't hit, that um, Alice, one of the major teachers in there, talked about having four different subject domains in the library that she was supervising.
1: And and it's everywhere. And, you know, there was an article, I know, it was 3AW um, last week talking about how one school in Western Melbourne needed something like 81 replacement teachers for the day. Yeah. And that's clearly not going to happen. So, what strategies are, are you implementing? It is things like combining classes, putting them in a communal area where you can supervise multiple classes at the one time, cancelling classes. I'm, I'm confident that every school, unless they have some amazing pool of CRT teachers at disposal, every school has implemented a strategy like that within the past month or so. Yep. And it's not a reflection of the school and it's not a reflection of teacher attitudes, but it's a reflection of, I guess, the dire circumstances that we're in at the moment um, and the wider issue that's happening here.
0: And another compounding issue- that being there being such a big demand for CRT teachers that that becomes a viable option for teachers who don't want to dive headfirst as full-time teaching staff that instead oh they'll do emergency teaching
1: yeah prefer to be a CRT than taking up a full-time position with all the the responsibilities um it's it i that sustainable mindset would come to the forefront now yep. thinking how do i still teach and still use my qualification but don't have to do the admin and the planning and have that responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. That's the dilemma there as well.
0: I was hoping we'd get to the end of this and, and have like a couple of gems that, that we have dropped, but we've also come up with a few bigger questions that maybe <laughs> we need answered. Like
1: thinking about, we were speaking about Greek fables before. Yep. If you want a little nugget of English teacher information, oh, yeah. um, if, you're ever, if you're ever studying a, a tragic Greek play or most Greek plays, ancient Greek plays, would aim to end with some sort of catharsis where the audience, where the character is able to recognize their own flaws with a sense of what they need to do to improve. In turn, the audience would also mirror that and reflect upon what they can do and how they relate to the character and and what they could do. But I, I feel like we haven't reached that catharsis moment. There isn't that, oh, that's what we need to do. That's how we can move forward. I think we are stuck in this. Cycle of questioning potential solutions, other issues surfacing, questioning, and and it will keep going, mm. and and there will be some change. I'm very optimistic that our current situation won't last. Call me an eternal optimist. No, I think you're um, right. But I
0: think it necessitates change.
1: Oh yeah, I'm I'm confident that it, um, at one point it will change. Yep. But in the meantime, what are we doing? That's a, that's that's another question that we can ask.
0: I like that the the ongoing. Educational Farce with No Catharsis. Hmm.
1: Maybe that can be the, the episode title.
0: I was going to say, if we're going for fancy, spicy episode titles, maybe that can be it.
1: Mm. Ongoing Educational Farce. Sisyphus
0: titles. and-
1: <laughs> Sisyphus and the Educational Farce.
0: Done. Okay. I'll Done. Put it in the books. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, do some, I'll do some sleuthing on SEO and we'll see if we can, we can get some expansion of-
1: It's like doing your crossword puzzles in pen. Like committing to the pen instead of doing your crossword puzzles in pencil. Have you heard that dilemma?
0: I have. I've experienced it. I I find that my preference for pens tends to override the desire to have the option to change.
1: (laughs) Always. Always. But it is that level of commitment that we're going for right now.
0: And we have committed a lot of time to this 60-minute special. I think we should probably wait until the next one before we- discuss some more stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll see what this part two has, has to offer.
0: And there's always plenty more to talk about, and um, none so more than if one was keeping an eye on the Australian Teachers subreddit on the site reddit.com, which is a wealth of comments and opinions from the people who are Australian Teachers Sometimes, sometimes the occasional commenter just slips in there, not being a teacher or maybe being a parent. But there are a lot of stories there that do reflect some of these sentiments quite often. If you're listening to this episode and you haven't sought to check out that subreddit, I definitely uh, would urge you to. There's a lot of great stories there. I think um, I should probably tell you as well, Tanya and dear listener, that um, this podcast was incepted with the idea that our community – our baseline community for this podcast is living in that Australian teachers subreddit. The mods of that subreddit have been very kind to allow me to to promote this podcast a little bit there. Um, so I'm kind of hoping a lot of the drive for people to get in touch with each other, to for teachers to support each other, they will end up in that subreddit to do that, and it's it's a great place to do it. But there are a lot of messages of of woe and anguish over the teaching situation, and it's actually a lot of the comments have. And posts have risen of late with regards to burnout, which I think yeah, I'm not sure if it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, it being the internet, or whether um, it is actually reflective of how much burnout is being felt by, by all the teachers around um, Victoria and Australia. Yeah. But with that being said, I do want a small component of these Staff Room episodes to address your questions, as we mentioned at the beginning. I thought we'd pick a couple of questions randomly out of the internet to deal with. You did pick one from your particular social media group. I'm not entirely sure what that is, but shall we tackle that one first?
1: Um, yeah. As a, uh, the one thing I've noticed as a teacher is um, there is a wealth of Facebook groups that you can join, whether that's VC English or rural and remote Victorian teachers community Facebook group. Um, the, Facebook seems to be a, a great place of communication. Um, they're all private groups, so you do have to ask to join, but they can be quite tailored to your role description or the or the, your methods or um, anything. I'm just in a general Victorian teachers community. I think there's something like 40,000 members, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's just a place where pre-service teachers can ask questions, um, people can ask for more tailored advice about subjects or curriculum. Um, you even have a few principals as moderators who can give you that more um, school admin and policy perspective. Um, it's really great.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So, what question did you pluck out of out of the Facebook group this time?
1: Yes, I saw this one. I thought this would be a great one. Um, this was from an anonymous member. They say, um, this one is for the new teachers or pre-service teachers. What did you wish you had more support in when you started your teaching career? And do you need Mm. help with anything now?
0: It's a really good one because, um, like, it could be talking about getting started with the the educational journey, getting stuck into teaching initially. Um, Funnily enough, John Marsden, again, the uh, prophet of education maybe from that special, mentioned the idea that you go out in the world and you experience a little bit of it first before you start pursuing teaching. Yeah. So, that might be a good idea unless that $12,000 bursary is incentive enough to dive straight in. Yeah. When you get started in your teaching career, I think a lot of the stuff we've talked about already is probably what you should consider in, in particular, the sustainable yeah. mindset.
1: That- yeah. And I think in my episode, we discussed the things you don't expect that you need support with. Um, and for yeah. me, I'm pretty sure I discussed in that episode, how to use school intranets and, and log incident reports and, use the communication tools that parents have access to. Mm. That's the thing I needed support with the most because that's what I didn't experience on my, my practicum and that's the aspect of, of school admin that I never got to, got to see. So for me it was navigating those tools because it dominated so much of my spare time having to write this down on Compass or having to log this on Simon, which are some of the major intranet systems for schools. And that's where a lot of my source as a young grad, I guess, stem from, because I had to ask other people to help me. And of course that's always a bit daunting because you seem incompetent and then just having to follow up a lot of things and, and dedicate a lot of time to writing posts and and logging things. That's the thing I said needed a bit more support with. And yeah. also having restorative conversations because you're in once again in in your pre-service degree, You're taught that communication is really important, whether that's with other teachers, with parents, with students, but actually conducting that conversation yourself and leading that conversation and facilitating those questions, that's something that you can only develop once you're a teacher because, once again, as a pre-service teacher on practicum, you would often handball that to a coordinator or your mentor and say, oh, this incident has happened with with so-and-so, how do I deal with this? And they would often come and swoop in and, and yep. fix the issue for you or communicate with the parent for you. And I remember in my first week of teaching, I had someone sit down with me on my second day and write a parent email for me or with me because yeah. that's something I never had experience in, in in terms of the certain phrasing that you would use and and how you would um describe particular things that have happened in the classroom. A couple of days later, I had someone on a phone call with me as I was talking to a parent. So, just those unexpected communication things definitely would have made a, a big impact in my first term of teaching.
0: But it's funny, they, they would probably say those are the little things, right?
1: Yeah. Or, you know, you wouldn't even consider them as little things. I don't think I ever thought about that as a pre-service teacher, never really- Cross yep. my mind that that's part of my description. Um, it's
0: one of the biggest gripes I had with doing the master's course that I did, being someone who had seven years of IT support in a secondary school under his belt. That when I was doing that course, the severe lack of support to help new teachers in those systems that you're talking about. And e- like I, I ran for my history subject group, I ran a seminar for them. <clears throat> Answering questions, basic questions about what using computers are like in a school. Like, do you get them from the school itself or what kind of connections do you need? Yeah. What kind of programs can we use? Are we allowed to use the ones that we do or should we be preparing to use anything? You know, Google Drive, Dropbox, Cloud, Box, whatever kind of storage platform you can imagine. Yeah. And then you've got your- attendance platforms like Compass and lesson management and all those things, all that stuff. I don't think there was any subject that dealt with it well. So, my end goal, if I can do it without being a teacher somehow, is to create my own subject that covers that stuff for teachers.
1: Absolutely.
0: It's, it's Absolutely. so needed. It really is.
1: And just, like I said, r- trying to draft a parent email Still takes me a little while because there are certain, I guess there is a certain language that we need to use to make it accessible, but also assertive and, but also taking into consideration the student's well being. And you know there are so many things coming to something that can be so easily overlooked, like a like a parent email. And I would say the one thing that I still need help with now is now that I have, I guess, a base understanding of those platforms and those intranet systems is how to use them more efficiently and start to deep dive into their function and, and some of the tools within there that I can, you know, make those tasks more efficient and, and I guess more systematic.
0: A subject on teacher communication and productivity. Perfect.
1: Oh, beautiful.
0: It's a bit hard to trim from that master's course at least. Cause they, they tend to streamline it and yet it still felt like there was some, you know, fluff.
1: Fluff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Glad we're in the same mindset. So I guess, I guess the, the true answer is the little things, maybe.
1: The little things.
0: Employ some of that teacher reflection on yourself when you get stuck into teaching and um, say it for me, Tanya, unconditional.
1: Unconditional positive self-regard. Yes.
0: There we go. (laughs) Rolls Um, off
1: the tongue. (laughs)
0: We are coming pretty close to time, so we might leave some more questions for our next episode. If you have any questions you would like us to talk about, please feel free to send them again to teachingculturecast at gmail.com. And again, we will presume that they that you want to be anonymous unless you state that you would like your name attached. First name, uh, maybe last name. I can't imagine anyone that would prefer that. But and again, if you use an email that's from a school we will also endeavour to hide uh, where that's come from as well, because we want to make sure that you are all protected as teachers, uh, doing all the good work that you do. And so, we are at the, at the end of our first staff room, going with that uh, feeling you had at the start. We can hear the first bell has rung, perhaps, where-
1: We, we, we sat down for lunch. Um, we've, we've had a good 50 or so minutes- for lunch And now the bell's rung And we're all running off To our classes now
0: Yep Quickly throw away The, the balled up cling wrap into the, into the bin Put your mug in yep. the sink Or the dishwasher Or whatever And off we go
1: we're, And it's quite reflective Of this episode Because despite What's happened We, we still keep on going The profession needs to, Needs to Keep on keeping on So Yeah that's what we do At the end of this episode We leave the staff room And we keep on keeping on
0: Keep on keeping on And with that being said, we might end the episode there. Thank you so much for the first episode of Many, Tanya.
1: That's all right. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure having a a chit-chat in the staff room with you.
0: Indeed. And we will be back again next month. That was me, Matthew Bliss, talking with Tanya Ragusa about 60 Minutes Special About Teaching and Leaving the Classroom. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on our next Staff Room episode, please send a message to teachingculturecast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. But more importantly, if you find this podcast handy, share it with your colleagues, your workmates. Recommendation is the sincerest form of flattery in this case. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you in about two weeks. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.